Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Carrie and Austin here again talking about the dangers of exotic pet ownership. Carrie, I feel like this topic is coming up in the news more and more from roadside zoos to tigers roaming in suburban neighborhoods. It's like they're not listening to the the podcast here it just keeps coming up over and over again. What's happening? Clearly, we got to build our uh, our audience here, Austin, because otherwise, you know, everybody would be doing the right thing when they have the right information. Exactly, exactly. And we are going to hear uh, some great information here today. We'll hear uh, the unfortunate latest story in the saga um, on this topic. And our guest on the show is Lisa Watney, senior strategist from our captive wildlife team here at the Humane Society of the United States to give us an update. Thank you so much for sitting down to chat with us, Lisa. We are really glad that you're here. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So, um, Lisa, and for, and for all the audience that we're talking about uh, in this topic of exotic pet ownership, in the most recent story that comes out of Oregon, a chimpanzee had attacked a 50-year-old woman, and she was rushed to the hospital with bites in her torso, in her arms, and her legs. And the chimpanzee named Buck uh, was a family pet of, of 17 years, and reports are that the chimp attacked the owner's adult daughter the police had arrived on the scene and and unfortunately shot and killed the chimp at the request of the owner. So, Lisa, can we please break this down a little bit? I feel like there are many issues with this story, a lot of red flags. Um, I'm not even sure where to start here. The place to start is the fact that this unfortunate animal was uh, purchased as a, a pet as a baby 17 years ago. And that that sealed his fate right then and there. Um, anybody could have predicted that this was not going to turn out well, even if it hadn't ended with him being shot and killed. He was forced to live um, completely unnaturally. Uh, he basically was treated as a, a human child and he had the run of their home. He ate at the table. Uh, he had the run of their property. And these are things that might um, somebody might look at that and think, oh, what a wonderful life for this animal. He wasn't caged. But no, he was a chimpanzee and he was denied the most important thing to chimpanzees and that is the companionship of their own kind. Yeah, I think this is, this Lisa, this issue is such an interesting one to me because it's one of the things that we have to get into as an animal protection and animal welfare group where we always have to think about like what is best for the animal because, you know, and there, there are these things that come up in our movement where I think there's this what we're actually wrestling with is the complexities of how much people love animals and how much the complexities of how they want to be close to them and they want to bond with them and the ways in which sometimes that can be a bad thing for the animal. I mean, I remember when I was in college, I actually, there was this horrible pet store um, down the road from my college that had sugar gliders for sale, um, which are just, if, if people don't know what sugar gliders are, they're basically sort of flying squirrels and they are possibly the most adorable animal you have ever seen. Um, and they would, they would keep them in this little sack and the sugar gliders would just sort of fly randomly around the pet store. And I was just sort of smitten and was like, oh, I should have a sugar glider. And it wasn't until years later that I was like, oh no, like, you know, I didn't get one, but I'm sure other people did. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. very, sugar gliders, unfortunately, are very popular pets, and they're, it's completely inappropriate for the sugar gliders, and there are a lot of, um, as with all exotic animals kept as pets, there are many, um, there's, a, it's usually a tragic ending for most of these animals, whether mm -hmm. they're 
shot and killed like buck, or they die of neglect um, as many other species, or they're turned loose by owners who no longer want them, or they escape and are, are never found. And they don't make it in the wild, in the wild. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I would think that even the ones that are don't have sort of dramatic, tr- awful endings um, are probably living lives that are less than ideal for them. You know, like there there are probably you know hundreds and thousands of of animals who are who are kind of being kept in inappropriate situations where it never turns into a dramatic news incident, but they're living in a way that an animal would never choose if it had the option. Yeah. yeah, not only in a way they wouldn't choose, but many, many of them in truly miserable conditions. Mm-hmm. And um, there are n- numerous examples of these animals finally being found, um, discovered somehow, either because a neighbor sees it and reports it, or a person who has the, an animal becomes elderly and their family finally calls authorities to come in and remove um you know, a spider monkey that they've had for years. And these are animals who have lived, you know, I can't tell you how many times we see monkeys living their lives in bird cages. Mm. Bird cages that aren't appropriate for birds, let alone. Right, right. yeah, like and, even birds living in bird cages isn't yeah, the best all the time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so these are the lucky ones who are found after suffering for mm. years. And, but every time that happens, you know, I ask my coworker, yeah, and how many of them are out there who are mm-hmm. never discovered? Yeah, that we never even mm-hmm. know about, That's yeah. Right. So Lisa, is it legal to buy these exotic animals in the first place? Yes, um, most, in the US you can get almost any species you want. There, there are some, you know, that nobody's going to go out at this point and buy a pet orangutan or a pet gorilla or a pet rhino. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Well, I shouldn't say that. Somebody could get a rhino, but um, so it's legal and bucks, buck was legal, even though Mm -hmm. um, the state of Oregon passed a law um, about more than 10 years ago now that outlawed the private ownership of great apes because this family possessed buck at the time the law went into effect, they were grandfathered in. So they were allowed yeah. to keep him there, mm-hmm. which is the same okay. for him. You know, there were numerous attempts to convince the family to turn Buck over to a sanctuary. And if they had made the compassionate decision and done so, he would he would still be alive today. Oh my gosh. But it's all too easy to buy almost any exotic animal you want, especially primates. And wow. the trade in primates is really thriving right now. Not so much chimpanzees. That's pretty rare. I think most people at this point have, um, especially after, I don't know if you all remember the incident years ago where Charla Nash literally yeah. yep. torn off by a pet yep. chimpanzee. I think maybe that got through to a lot of people. Yeah. But- yeah many 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 other primate species the trade is thriving and these animals are sent across the country by breeders at you know days or just two or three weeks of age it's really really tragic so most of them are are bred as opposed to captive caught that's so disturbing Yeah. yeah the the u.s quite a while ago outlawed importing primates 
for the pet trade. Mm -hmm. They still can be imported for um, medical research, but not for the pet trade. So they are bred. There are many, many breeders in the wow. US and they're sending many species of monkeys all over the country for, um, for the pet trade. You mentioned that, you know, this business was thriving. I know that we've been working on this issue for a long time, but do you have any inclination as to why um, you know, this is such a thriving thing, you know, is it because I, I remember the last time that we were on, we were talking about the, the little Netflix show called Tiger King, um, and how the issue of roadside zoos and, and these, these red flags when it comes to exotic pet ownership came up originally. And now with, you know, COVID-19 happening and a lot of people are at home. I, I mean, do you have, have they brought an impact on this issue to a head? Uh, what have you been seeing? I think um, for, for big cats, yes. I think that um, maybe even before Tiger King, but certainly since, mm. I think most people who went to a roadside zoo and held a tiger cub and had their photo taken with it um, still had enough sense to know that, yeah, you know, a tiger's not an appropriate pet for the average family. But um, these same places are now turning hugely to allowing people to pet and hold and play with many species of monkeys, um, sloths, otters. And um, most people aren't making the connection that, the, you know, they're obviously much smaller and uh, not as strong as, as tigers or they're not predators. Um, and they're just not making that same connection especially with the real tiny little marmosets and tamarins. They call them finger monkeys. Oh and God. It's like pocket pets, like yeah. pocket yep. pets, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh the, my God. The breeders advertise them with pictures of this tiny, I mean, these monkeys weigh ounces, you know, wrapped around somebody's finger. They're adorable. They might even mm. be more adorable than sugar gliders, Carrie. <laughs> oh yeah. I was just thinking like the way they sell, you know, um, like what they call teacup pigs. It's, that's not a teacup pig. It's going to get bigger. But these sort of like, you know, highlighting the the tininess and the adorableness of these animals. It's just, it's almost like you wish you could make these animals bigger so that they, they wouldn't be prone to these bad marketing strategies. Yeah, yeah bigger or ugly or yeah, something. Right, right. <laughs> that should be our new campaign. Make the animals ugly. Make them ugly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's and and people like with any wild animal these people even though they might be a tiny marmoset or even a capuchin sized monkey they have incredible strength mm. they're you know much much stronger than humans most most primates and they have their wild instincts and really specialized needs that people mm simply cannot meet and so again these animals go into these homes and their people dress them in little clothes and carry them around in their purse it's it's misery for them yeah Lisa, I mean, I've been in the field a while now and it seems to me like one of the challenges that seems to come up around this issue is that you know, because you were talking about how this is largely legal what what I've seemed to notice and tell me if I'm wrong here is it seems like these things sort of stay legal um, until some horrible incident happens. And then there's kind of this rush to, to try to pass a law based only on that incident. When if we had kind of considered earlier the needs of the animal, we wouldn't be sort of like doing these reactive laws only when a tragedy happens. We would be we sort of prioritizing the needs of the animal from the start and avoiding these things that, that um, create these sort of reactive crises. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And in an ideal world, that's, that's how it would be. Mm. Unfortunately, um, when first there have been many attempts to pass laws after really horrific incidents that still go nowhere because mm-hmm. legislators prioritize the rights of the people over the needs of the mm-hmm. animals, certainly, mm-hmm. or even the safety of the people who, who live around the people who own these animals, which is quite astounding. But I agree with you completely. It would be, you know, we're seeing a decline in tiger cub petting and lion cub petting, which is fantastic. We're seeing a huge spike in these programs that offer in public interaction with primates and sloths and otters. what a thrill it would be to get ahead of this problem and pass laws now that prohibit that. But it's like pulling teeth. Yeah, I, I think, especially on this podcast, one of the greatest tools that we can have for the, the audience is an educational aspect in what to look out for in, in these types of things. So if you could help us out, can you define what a roadside zoo is uh, for us? Maybe things, red flags that we can look out for uh, when we're taking a road trip or seeing- Yeah, especially right since everybody's starting to think about traveling again and maybe trying to have these little summer vacations at this point. I mean, I think this comes up a lot where people are traveling and they see something that they're like, oh, I love animals. I'll go to this animal exhibit. And they don't know that you're supporting something that actually isn't something that someone who loves animals should really be doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we, you know, loosely consider um, a roadside zoo to be any facility that is not accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums mm-hmm. or the ADA. And so, frankly, most exhibits or facilities you run into as you're driving around the country with your family are it's going to be a roadside zoo more more mm-hmm. likely than not. Um, but if you go into one of these places, one thing that you immediately know something's wrong, if they offer public interaction with mm. any, if they allow you to, and they usually want to charge you extra for it, to pet and play with uh, monkeys, bobcats, sloths, otters, ferrets, anything you can think of, mm. um, they're offering programs like that that's a huge red flag. And that is not a, a facility that's operating in the best interest of the animals. Mm. Even if they call themselves a sanctuary mm. or a rescue or a refuge, a lot of them use these uh, words in their names to kind of give the public a, a sense of ease about what they're doing. And they'll tell people that the animals were rescued. If somebody thinks enough to ask, well, you know, this is a baby. Why isn't it with his mom? There's always an excuse given. The mom rejected them. That's not what happens when these animals being used for these programs are being pulled away from their mothers within days of birth, usually, so that they can be handled. It's a cruel, cruel practice from beginning to end. Lisa, wasn't there a thing just recently with there was a, a case with the with an otter who was kind of being mishandled at, at one of these type places? I, I know I saw the footage and it's just it's really upsetting to watch because 
it like the sort of cognitive dissonance that happened for me when I'm watching this is kind of like you're you're looking at what is sort of like a kind of small scale budget Disney World type of setting and this these families sitting around like all happy and excited and then this woman brings out this this otter who is clearly just so distressed like the otter is screaming like the entire time when he's being offered to families for touching and handling and it's it's just it's so upsetting. <laughs> Yeah, it was that was at Tiger Safari in Tuttle, Oklahoma. It's a place that we did an undercover investigation at a number of years ago when they used tiger cubs for petting. Mm. And we mm. revealed the horrific, horrific abuse involved with that. And they no longer use tiger cubs, um, probably partly thank, uh, partly because of our investigation and the bad PR they received for that. But um, they do use many other animals, including um, uh, that otter and I agree that footage was so disturbing you you could hear that otter screaming before he was even brought into the room mm -hmm. um, the baby only about six months old and what was equally disturbing to me I watched that video so many times and um, a couple of times I didn't look at him I looked at the people <sighs> there for that experience and only one of them seemed to get it there was mm -hmm. one woman with a very concerned look on her face and the rest were smiling and laughing and petting him and all the while the handler was making excuses mm -hmm. going on you know trying to uh, alleviate any concerns people may have had um i i it's difficult for me to understand how somebody experiences something like that and didn't immediately see this is bad. So interesting. You know, like some of that, I, I think that I completely, I completely agree. And yet I do think that, you know, we have a sort of state of our country and maybe generally society where people are so disconnected from the natural world that maybe they just don't recognize an animal in distress immediately or think, you know, hey, it's screaming the way a little toddler might scream, that sort of anthropomorphism where it's like, oh, it's just screaming because it's, you know, excited, you yeah. know, and it's like to, to us, and we look at it and you're just like, that animal is terrified. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. It's And the owner was right there in the room, you know, didn't step in to stop it because, of course, all these people had, had paid an additional fee to participate in this, uh, what he calls a VIP experience. Mm. And um, yeah, so, and when the otter was then, you know, taken away and put back in a, in a room, they, do, they don't even have an otter exhibit at this mm -hmm. tiger safari. So he doesn't even have relief in between these handlings um someplace good to go so yeah it's uh it's miserable for these animals no doubt they should change the vip logo to a vto a very traumatized otter event i love it yeah maybe that would be sort of truth in advertising yes absolutely required stamp there yeah so yeah. lisa we, we we've spoken uh, about otters chimpanzees tigers are there spe is there a species in your experience that is suffering the most from the pet trade Oh, I think no doubt that would be reptiles and, mm. and birds um, okay. just because of sheer numbers and um, the circumstances in that these animals are kept in, um, not only by for reptiles, but the people who um, breed and sell them, they keep them. If you've ever seen photos, it's absolutely horrific. Huge rooms of literally like plastic shoe boxes stepped on stacked on top of each other these animals have 
no natural atmosphere. They cannot even stretch out to their full size, most of them. Um, they're shipped around the country and, and the death rate of uh, reptiles is, is staggering. The saddest thing about the reptile trade is how little compassion or empathy people have in general for reptiles. Mm. As we all know, people scream in fear of, you know, about snakes and um, most reptiles, they, they get so little consideration. And the people who buy them are, they don't have a clue about the special needs mm. of these animals. Many of them die in shipment. Many of them die shortly after they go into their, their homes. Um, many of them are released to the wild when the novelty wears off. It's, mm. I don't think any- Which is horrifying. Anything, any, anybody suffers more than reptiles. So Lisa, can you talk, I mean, the, the reptile thing is so interesting because it's like when, when I think about, um, you know, exotic pets being released in the wild, I think probably, probably that's mostly a thing because a, a pet who has, or an animal who has been treated as a pet is not, is no longer prepared to cope in the wild. But, you know, we have a situation, you know, like what's happened in Florida with um, the pythons there where it's almost the exact opposite, where it, it's, it's come like the python copes actually quite well, <laughs> um, copes mm. to the point where it starts eating, you know, native species and, and right. actually, yeah. Yeah, I, I think with reptiles, um, people, they're released by people who tire of them or, or mm -hmm. whatever, because they, um, they do, if they're in a, a, an appropriate climate, um, they think they can thrive. Mm. Most of them can't, but the mm. plants have certainly been an exception to that, to the, you know, to the detriment of the native wildlife in the, in the Everglades. Um, but I think also, even with the people who get these animals as pets, there's a real, um, disconnect about turning a reptile loose you know somebody who would never turn their dog loose to, mm. try to make it on their own um they don't have that same empathy for the reptiles most of them die mm. um, because they can't survive the, the the weather in most parts of the country although that may be changing um mm. but yeah it's uh so i think most of them die and are we never even know about them. You know, mm. I, I, in, in Seattle, Washington was walking my dog, um, last year and we found a little in the park dead, uh, lizard, exotic lizard of some kind, certainly not anything that's native here. So no doubt an escaped or really wow. pet probably, mm. pet, you know, a major pet chain and there he is now dead in the park. God, that's so sad. Yeah. Lisa, what we've heard now a lot of these stories about um, the, the serious dangers and issues both to the public but but also to the animal themselves about exotic pet ownership. What can the public do to help these animals and to curb the private ownership issue? Well, obviously, <laughs> don't buy them. Um, you know, don't don't get any any wild or exotic animal as a pet is is not appropriate not good for the animal ultimately is is not going to be good for the pet owner um and get in touch with your state directors hsus the hsus state director for your state um to see if we are focusing on legislation 
pertaining to exotic animals um, in your state, because we are in a number of states. And so the more support we have from constituents of the legislators who are dealing with these issues, the better. Legislators need to know that people care about this issue and that they're not only concerned about the public safety aspect of it, but they're concerned about the animal welfare aspect of it too. And um, that's that's critical. We have you know uh, various things being considered at state levels, city, county, you know, little townships. There, there are really some great things going on. And the more public support we have for those, the greater chances of success. Lisa, before we wrap up today, is there are there any other final as as more people are traveling throughout the summer, are there any other pieces of advice or information that you'd like to leave with our audience? Absolutely. I would say please stay away from the roadside zoos. As appealing as they may seem, um, they're not. The, the ones that offer the public contact experiences, as long as people pay to play, as we say, the zoos are gonna continue these programs and the animals suffer. Even the ones who don't have those programs, the animals are suffering. They're in woefully substandard conditions what goes on behind the scenes at many of these places would make your hair curl. Um, if you pay to go into these places, you're supporting animal cruelty. Stay away. There are many, many other fun and exciting things to do with your family um, that involve animals without hurting them. That includes swim with the dolphin exhibits, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We could go on a whole other thing there, but yeah. it definitely includes swim with the dolphins. Don't swim yes. with the dolphins. Not a good idea. Not the nice for the dolphins. No, the dolphins always look like they're smiling and that's to their detriment. They are not enjoying it. And there have been mm -hmm. plenty of injuries caused by dolphins to people mm -hmm. at these yeah. programs. Um, you never hear about those because they're not required to be reported. They happen. Wow. The dolphins aren't happy. So Lisa mentioned at the local and state level, there are pieces of legislation that you can reach out to your local legislator about. There is also federal legislation that you as a, a constituent can work to help these animals that are in need. Two of the most prevalent right now is the Captive Primate Safety Act and the Big Cat Public Safety Act. Those are two laws that are in federal legislation right now. So please call your legislator if you wanna create that change. All right. Well, Lisa, thank you again for sitting down to chat with us. It's always a pleasure. Um, uh, Lisa Watney, senior strategist from our captive wildlife team at the Humane Society of the United States. Again, Lisa, it was a pleasure. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. Have a good summer, everyone. Yeah. Thank Don't you. go to zoos. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time on Humane Voices.